Welcome to White Pill Radio, the every other episode of Theology on Air that is post-apologetic, ultimately hopeful, applied theology that looks at news and current events with a Christian worldview. I like to say that this is blessed talk, not happy talk. You do like to say that. And we're going to be talking about some spicy topics, uh, some interesting teachings coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the uh, sudden popularity of a pop star by the name of Osama bin Laden. <laughs> You've heard of him. He's viral. viral. He opens for Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, lots of other interesting things as well. Uh, illiterate Americans, whether we don't read or can't read, that will be the question. Anyway, we're going to have some interesting stuff. I am Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Lutheran. FLHouston.org. Check us out. Uh, and uh, Theology on Air is an offshoot of a ministry that used to be called Theology on Tap, but it is now called... Theology by the Pint. Theology by the Pint. And oh, you can nice. go to the website... Theologybythepint.org or theologybythepint.com. I did buy them all. Dot net. Oh. Yeah. Do they okay. link to one another? They will. Yes. It's on the, this it's, is it's only been a day. It's only been a day. Web. That is on the World Wide Web. Yes, okay. James. Okay. But Just want to be clear. With me as always, Sarah Stone. Executive mm-hmm. Director of Theology by the Pint. Yep. Yes. Nice job. And Mace Perez. Yes. Where can people find you? Yeah, uh, church planter at the Journey Church Houston. We are at thejourneyhouston.org. Very cool. And James Prather. Director of Operations at the Houston Institute. Uh, you can find us at houstoninstitute.org. You say that so fast. It sounds like Houstitute. Houston no, uh, Institute, Houston, right? Yes. Houston okay. Pause Institute. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Is but it, it, is, it is together when you, when you type in the website. Is it Prather or Prather? Prather. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Don't ask questions. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I, mean, gram- I, I said Prather. The grammar, so. is, yeah. it's, I'm from Memphis. We speak different English. Very so. cool. Well, glad you're in Houston. Um, okay, let's jump in. Do it. uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks with a lot of news going on. There are a couple of stories, maybe kind of related, um, uh, in the Roman Catholic world. And uh, our listeners may remember James from uh, the Sons of Thunder uh, <laughs> showdown with Juan Carlos. They did. Uh, James and John get that. I might have to change chairs because this thing squeaks. Um, <laughs> or I, I literally can't move. Um, but they, 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 it was kind of a former Roman Catholic turned Presbyterian, Presbyterian uh, turned Roman Catholic. Anyway, uh, dialogue. We're going to do more of those, by the way. Yeah. Sequel coming soon. Yes, nice. another one coming soon. So you, can, uh, you might disagree with me about some of this, but there was a question uh, about whether or not, I guess, uh, these are the kind of questions we ask in the 21st century, transgender folk can be baptized uh, or can be godparents to uh, to babies, witness marriages, things of that nature. So this is from CatholicNewsAgency.com. The headline is Vatican Doctrine Office. Transgender identifying people can be baptized and witness marriages. Just a couple of paragraphs. The Vatican's Doctrine Office has said, an adult who identifies as transgender can receive the sacrament of baptism under the same conditions as any adult, as long as there's no risk of causing scandal or confusion to other Catholics. Um, <laughs> the Vatican also said that children or adolescents experiencing transgender identity issues may also receive baptism if well prepared and willing. A lot to unpack. We don't have mm-hmm. enough time. But let me just say this. <coughs> Coming out of a liberal denomination that, well, at one point was, you know, right on the issues, I would say, or orthodox, traditional, whatever you want to say, on the, on the issues, and became far left-leaning, the ELCA— um, this is exactly how it started. Mm-hmm. It was a local option. It was a preferential option, which, by the way, destroys any Catholicity. And I said this when I was a Lutheran or in that denomination. You know, the idea that you can have this kind of local option where you're like, you know, oh, well, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, but we'll all kind of h- hold together in some kind of big tent. You're not really a church at that point. You're, 
I don't know what you are, but on something as foundational as this, I would say, yeah, you can disagree about some audiophora, right? But this is pretty foundational. So I think the idea that it's like, well, as long as it doesn't offend anybody, I don't, I don't quite get that. And I would or say confuse. the same. Yeah. That's weird. How is this not confusing? <laughs> uh, you know, this to me is a pretty simple thing. Um, and I guess my my question would be something like this. If we could resurrect, you know, Pope Pius Twelfth, I think is who it was, who, who wrote the syllabus of errors, like the great screed against modernity, would he understand this question at all, right? Like, he would be like, trans, what now? People think, what now? The Bible's pretty clear on this. You know, God yeah. made the male and female. You know, you have children. This is the order of things. Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, what I've loved about the Catholic Church when I had, you know, some some sort of uh, dalliances with them was that Whoa, they were right on these, these issues, right? And now it's like, well, wait a minute, what's happening? Um, and then I don't understand, like, well, it says adolescence, I guess, but I don't know how a child could be transgender and be well-prepared and willing if you're baptizing an infant. Anyway, I, I guess the point is that if someone is old enough to think they're transgender, then they would have to understand. I don't know. I it it it, it, it I will say this is... A difficult question in the sense we don't want to. Um, there are there are certain things the church does that are relatively open, right? I do think we want to have an openness towards sharing church things with the most people we possibly mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I don't want to be in a posture where it's like, well, you're not good enough for baptism. You're not good enough for the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that is what excommunication is. I mean, there are standards. There are there are things that you go beyond, and it's like. Sorry, you can't participate in, in, in church For anymore. Now. Yeah. yeah. Until maybe there's repentance, mm-hmm. you can come back. Um, the Catholic Church teaches that homosexuality, for example, is intrinsically disordered. H- how can—I I just don't know any way that this can be said without going into a place of supporting the transgender movement, the transgender uh, thought process, or whatever it is, and legitimizing it. I, and I don't know how you do that. Can so, I try? Yeah. Can I try? So I, I, I don't want to be like the spokesperson of the Vatican because some things that come out of the Vatican are confusing. Pope Francis says confusing things are legitimate. But with here, uh, the way I took it is, I think this is right, um, it's transgender people. I don't know if it's transgender identifying people. And there's a distinction there in okay. that someone that has had a transgender surgery may be repentant and undergo the sacrament of baptism. Uh, and I think the, oh. quote, the quote is, under the same conditions as other believers, if there are no situation in which there's a risk of generating public scandal or disorientation among the faithful. So, which would, I think, include a circumstance in which they identified as transgender, is the, at least the way that... Are you saying that it's people that have undergone enough to, to actually have changed their body, but now are repentant and they're either detransitioning or just not identifying that way anymore? Yeah, that, I'm, I'm taking that as... So the question is, what does transgender mean? Does it mean transgender identifying right. or does it mean have gone through transgender mm-hmm. surgeries? Right. Because if it's transgender identifying, I agree. If it's transgender surgeries, <laughs> then I also agree with what you were saying, want to be as open as possible and that's a reality in a real yeah. way it, like never before. Oh, I didn't realize that. So it could be a legitimate... I mean, that is a, that is definitely a le- legitimate question for the church mm-hmm. yeah. is what do we do about sure. all these people and especially those that a lot of them are saying, whoa, I wish I didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. But it's too late. Yeah. We're not going to go through well, another surgery. First well, Corinthians, that makes more yeah. sense out of the whole confusing thing too. Like that it's not not causing scandal or confusion. I I initially took that to mean like, we only care about how it appears to other people. 
it doesn't matter what the Lord thinks, you know. There's so there's yeah. there's a scandal is like there's an like official term where you are your your behavior is uh causing others to think that you're sinning or is mm-hmm, leading mm-hmm. other people to sin. And so, you know, like examples are um if you're premarital and you're in a relationship and you're sleeping over at someone's house, we're not having but we're not having sex. We're you know it's totally right. clean. Okay, but that's a sin of scandal because it could uh-huh. very I mean what are the odds you're not having sex? Right, right, right. Okay, so let me let me ask you a question then. Yeah, uh, the doctor because one of the one of the things about the for, anyway, what I would like the church to say, big all the churches is to say these are not concepts that are biblical. We don't acknowledge them. I would like that instead of saying, um, oh no, we're gonna work. Da, da, da. And I'm saying all the churches. I mean, anyway, yeah, yeah. but let me set that to the side. Because, because let me give an example of where I think you're, you know, we would all fall into a massive ditch with this, which is transgenderism destroys the concept. It destroys the English language. What is a man? <laughs> what is a woman? Yeah, yeah. What is a mother? What is a father? What it's is a, a godmother? What is a godfather? Mm. Right? right? Because right. that's the next issue. Yeah. The doctrinal office said a transgender identifying person who has undergone hormonal treatment or sex reassignment surgery can fulfill the role of godfather or godmother for a baptism. Under certain circumstances, again, leaving it open, it seems, to a local option, but added that such a role is not a right, agreed, and should not be allowed if there is danger of causing a scandal or confusion to the church community, okay? Um, yeah. the, I, I, what do they do, like, have a vote and 100% of people, you know, have to affirm it? I mean, I don't know how you vote it. But again, coming out of a denomination that screwed this up terribly and is destroying itself as a problem, you know, I'm, I, I witness. So here's a question. Is it a mother or a father? Like, if what does that mean? Like, is 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 it if a man transitioned to a woman and it's done, and maybe they regret it, but are they a godmother? Or if a woman transitioned to a man, maybe they regret it. Is it a godfather? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying you have to answer for that. Or <laughs> this article you represent doesn't. all people. But but I, <laughs> yeah. I I just think it's a quagmire to sort of go down this road of of sort of even acknowledging the possibility that a person could change their gender. Well, Evan, just to push back, and you know that I agree with you on this issue, but if if it is done, though, I mean, the, yeah. you can't keep everybody from going through gender reassignment surgery. So if it's done, do you not see that there's something redemptive about saying if someone is repentant and they come back into the fold and they want to be involved in a faith community, well, I don't make see, a space for I, that? I don't. So my whole thing is, and I appreciate the question that you asked, but I think the way that that is worded, there is no statement about repentance. It says they have undergone these things, full stop, and then they want to do this. Mm-hmm. Not, and now they're repentant. So yeah, we're, I, we're adding repentance into this. Yeah, yeah. so certain, I took it certain as conditions they, could they, be that, but it's not necessarily that. Yeah, they well. have gone through with that, and they are continuing to live as opposite right. gender that they were born. Yeah. But, this, the, yeah. but then you wouldn't add scandal to that. If, if oh, it was that's just, why you're reading it backwards that way. If, you, if it was just as simple as transgender people can uh, receive baptism or can receive whatever whatever the other questions are, then you wouldn't just you wouldn't add the conditions of scandal unless it causes scandal or unless there's mm-hmm. there, you would just say like yes. Maybe it's because you know so everyone I, I guess can I still can't tell. See, yeah, I guess I just can't see how it would not cause confusion or a scandal. To say, okay, here's the church's official teaching on this issue. Here's a person actively living against that, but we're going to admit them to baptism. The baptism one I actually think is harder than the godparent one because my understanding 
of someone serving as a godparent, as you're saying, this is someone living in accordance with the faith, yeah, and therefore able to commit to helping raise this child as a model and, and, and influencing right. them. But but there is the there can still be the case in which someone is transgender as transition, but is repentant and would fall. Under, I don't see that. Well, in let, let me finish. Yeah, yeah. But would fall under the certain conditions, and scandal does imply that. Scandal implies that they are uh, manifestly in opposition to the teachings of the church. That's what that's. I mean, that's the definition of scandal. Now, I agree that it is ambiguous. Why not just say like, now repentant? This is a. Uh, it's a little bit that's like just as ambiguous. Catholicese kind of uh, scandal. These are all kind of very Catholic mm-hmm. words that the Protestant Church does not use, and repentant is one that the Protestant Church would use. And so I think hmm. that that's why it's like, well, just say that he repented and, and they gave their life to Jesus or whatever. You know, like that's not how the Vatican's going to talk because there's canon law that it's being a, appealed to and all that. So there's a whole system that it's within. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting, actually. I learned something. That's cool. But I, I do think, and I agree, the issue of repentance is, well, I don't know. I think, I think that it would require <clears throat> repentance if a person changed gender, because I think that what someone is doing when they attempt to, quote unquote, change their gender is literally saying to God, the way that you made me is all wrong. Definitely. Is wrong. Right. So, definitely. Okay. So, He's not saying otherwise. No, no, I know. No, yeah, that's yeah. definitely but, true. But I, the well, word... I did hear a question... That no one answered. Is it a godmother or godfather? The god- well, that, but no. so I mean, yeah, I guess that's my point. Is well, like no one can answer that. I mean, it would well, have, you know, you but- know, the question that I hear is okay. The person that, I mean, maybe it's outside the bounds of this article, but it's related. Obviously, is you know, what about that person that has gone through the hormone treatment or mutilated their body? What does repentance look like? Yeah, I think it says God made me this way. This is how God made me. He didn't make a mistake when He made me this way, um, and and I'm I'm choosing now to live as best as I can, given what I've already done, right. to to live in that way. Right. I think that's honoring God. Um, I I would but, agree too, which is why I would think to not cause you know admitting not super familiar with like Roman Catholic lingo, I would. It's difficult for me to see how it would not cause confusion or scandal if the person. Sort of went not. backwards, but then again, like, but what it, is it would. That's that's yeah. the thing. It would, if they were, if they were <laughs> leaning into that any and saying and not being repentant, then would cause scandal. If they if they did not, that's the condition in which, if they were uh, were repentant, then it would not cause scandal. If they did, if uh, if they were not repentant, then it would cause scandal. He's not using it the way the connotation that like we use it in the media. It's like an implication of wrongdoing or. Um, and on repentance. Yeah. This is, I think. Right, 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 right. But I guess I just, I, yeah. The way it's worded, I see no evidence of repentance. Well, and gotcha. what I would say is, again, having watched this, this, the, these, these word games be played of like, well, only if the local people and only if it's not a scandal and only if it's this and only if it's that, it doesn't end that way. Five years later, it's shoved down your throat whether you like it or not. It's this is what our church is going to. Now I'm not saying Rome will do that per se, but that's what happened it, within within nine years of having this local option where a few churches, if the bishop approves and the congregation is okay with it, they could call an openly gay pastor if they were in this kind of relationship and they're committed and da 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 all these caveats to it. Within eight years, it was full on everything goes. You know, live mm-hmm. with each other, who cares? Transgender, who cares? There was no, there's no limiting principle. So that, and look, I want a Roman Catholic church. I want the Pope mm-hmm. Pius XII. I want the Pre-Vatican II <laughs> Roman Catholic. I want the Latin Mass Church. That's that helps me. It helps Christendom, if you will. Yeah. Um, we can be allies in many, many things. I think if if the Roman Catholic Church holds. So it scares me, honestly. It scares me if 
if these are signs, and hopefully you're maybe you're saying I'm too worried about it, but it scares me if these are signs that the that the church is drifting left and more left and more left, and we're going to have less in common on these social issues and things. But yeah, I mean, I, I share your concern with lots of things that are happening in the Vatican. I mean, this really less so. There's actually a, uh, a question in the dubia about godparents that was more concerning because it was, uh, yeah, it, there's details. It was like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's that's really uh, worrying. And some of the stuff Pope Francis has done recently has been very worrying mm-hmm. with kind of uh, his handling of a pre- uh, certain priest that should not be handled in the way that he handled them, all these various things. But I, I, don't, um, I don't despair that the church is going to go awry because we've had just – terrible popes before like look at the 14th and 13th century and it's about as bad like prostitutes the whole mm. it, it's it's literally like a game of grand theft auto yeah in yeah. in the vatican so uh, yeah i hear you so yeah. you feel like there are safeguards in place yeah i, I just yeah. i think yeah i think christ into the church and it's not going to go anywhere um even mm. if even if the pope is you know like those are some really bad popes in the 13th century is not great stuff even the pope is uh, lefty you're confusing. I don't think Francis is too quickly made out to be just lefty. That everyone tries to box him. CNN tries to take him, and then mm-hmm. Fox News tries to send him that way. Mm-hmm. They could try to call him liberation theologian. There's all these various things that aren't really true. He's complex, which is both somewhat good, but it's also a serious fault because he says too complex or like complicated stuff. It's like, it's not complicated. Don't be complicated about it. That's what I'm saying. Don't be complicated. You know, these are, these are worldly terms that are coming into the church and we just don't deal with that. I mean, I think homosexuality is one of those terms. Um, yeah. it, 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 the Bible doesn't speak of this in the way the modern world speaks of it. So, but we'll talk about that on future in episodes. In April. Yes. Um, and then just as a side note, I've already taken more than my time, but I, I was going to kind of couple this, uh, uh, this removal of a of a relatively local bishop, uh, Joseph Strickland's c- kind of considered the most uh, conservative, I think, bishop in North America. And, you know, he's very outspoken. He was the one who, like, led this parade in Los Angeles when the Dodgers had uh, that uh, the Sisters of Perpetual oh, Indulgence, yeah. right? So he was, like, the one Catholic bishop who showed up. That None of the Los Angeles bishops showed up. And um, and so, yeah, all of a sudden they're like, maybe your accounting is a little bit off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, how are you running your how are you running your diocese uh, there, Mr. It'd be a shame if something happened to your diocese Oh, my there. gosh. Um, <laughs> well, no, that's what it feels like. I mean, two guys His come in. His diocese is not in a great spot. Yeah. Actually, it had a it had a relationship with Veritatis Splendor, who which had a scandal at the top where this this woman had an extramarital affair, um, and that diocese and Veritatis Splendor were like, you know, mm. bo- I don't know, boys is not the right term, but they were very yeah. tight and doing business together. Um, so didn't look after that financially, not in a good spot. So there was lots of mismanagement. The question is why that bishop in that area, when there's lots of mismanagement over diocese. Yeah. Everywhere. What do you, do, you, do you like Bishop Strickland? Like, what was your kind of thought? I don't follow him a ton. I, he okay. seems a little too, uh, like he's there's a there's a kind of a cohort of priests or bishops that are that are going too far, in like the militant. Um, the whole church is taking over on modernism, this conspiracy theories, which again I think does a lot of harm uh, and casts things in the wrong light, and just it's not true. Uh, there's there's definitely people that say wrong things the people that uh, bishops like i was talking about before cardinal supich mm-hmm. um says lots of concerning things um but it's the, the whole conspiracy theory it's like enough it's gotcha. not the stonemasons they have not invaded <laughs> and they're not taken over uh so i think 
and not that Bishop Strickland has admittedly said that, but you mean like the Freemasons? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Stonemasons, mm-hmm. I think, are actually. I mean, fine, stone, they, yeah, stonemasons are needed. They we need to build walls <laughs> so, so, and you know all, fences and they're all good. Um, yeah, he, but he said, I think he tweeted in in April, like I'm here to reject Pope Francis's undermining of the Catholic uh, doctrine or the the underpinning of the Catholic faith or something like that, which is openly rebelling against yeah. Pope Francis, which is different than what I'm trying to do, which is like critique Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Like, Pope Francis human does like kind of things. That is, as a bishop of the church, saying the the Pope, which is the cause of our unity, is undermining the, our church. Yeah, gotcha. uh, It's a bridge too far. That's a you. little much. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Well, we'll talk more about that as yeah. in future uh, <laughs> yeah. episodes. But um, what was next? Homeschooling. Homeschooling. Hey, guys. Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, go to houstontot.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. Homeschooling, yeah. Tell us, Mace. Um, so this particular article that I found was from Axios, but it's basically... Axios? Um, what is that? That's summer. the actual Greek pronunciation. The man knows. He spent okay. he's spent years. Every political I, podcast I, I listen to calls it Axios. I, I paid a lot of money to be able to... <laughs> Damn. That's not correct. Damn. I paid a lot of money. That's a seminary joke. In the wallet. Uh, okay. So, but it's summarizing uh, a front page Washington Post article that was talking about how homeschooling is now the fastest growing mm-hmm. form of education in mm. the United States. And they outline a number of different reasons for it. Um, they claim that because of the pandemic, everyone was forced into a form of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And so then it made the jump. Not so big for some families that then when they came back, they were like, no, we can actually, do this. we think we can yeah. do this. A number of other things, like trying to avoid bullying, trying to avoid um, racism, trying to get out of the school-to-prison pipeline. Hmm. Curiously, one of the reasons that they this particular article neglects to mention, I do not know uh, whether the Washington Post original article does or not. One of the reasons that they do not mention is parents pulling their kids out of the public education system mm. because they want to raise their children um, according to a particular religion. Uh, in our case, you know, according to a Christian worldview and not a uh, secular worldview. And then it, it raises some uh, notes the benefits. Um, one of them being that ch- parents can give their child more. Um, Specific instruction based on their needs for various subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, full disclosure, we recently made last school year the move to homeschooling. And that was one of our reasons was mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to give our son just one-on-one instruction, meet him where he was at. And then they raised some um, potential dangers, I guess you could say, uh, of homeschooling. The fact that there is uh, no state accountability in terms of certain learning outcomes and standards and that it's not exposing people to um not exposing children to other worldviews but um the basic um 
Yeah, headline is that homeschooling is now the fastest. Well, what you're saying is you're an influencer. I am. You're a trendsetter. <laughs> we started the Y'all started homeschooling. Yeah, they were like, oh, the yeah. Perezes are doing it? Yeah. We're in. I, I'm just so glad that, you know, like, say, Baltimore, for example, you know, has those state standards <laughs> that every student in the Baltimore school system <laughs> – you know, manages to attain. I mean, so that they, they don't graduate people being unable to read or do basic math or anything like that. They don't do that, do they? Well, people don't read anymore, apparently. Oh, apparently. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's we'll clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that in this article, it's interesting. It's like skirting around all the issues. Although there is some truth to that. I think some kids do get bullied, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know, so they, you know, parents need to pull their children out. And um, I, yeah, I think COVID did kind of put a shot in the arm with a lot of parents like, yeah, I can do better than this, you know, and, yeah. and I got to, I got to work from home anyway. Mm-hmm. Obviously people are working from home more now. So that, that opens the door. But for, uh, in our case, um, and my wife does most of the work regarding homeschooling. So, um, I'm kind of piggybacking off of her efforts, but in our case, it was the, it was the threat to basically continue to put masks on the face of children. Now they kind of ended up not doing it for very long, but Still, it was like a how- while though, because I remember when you guys pulled out, and then my kids were still wearing masks at school for it's like, like how long? How long are we going to do this? We, I mean, we know by now anyway. Um, and and then ultimately, I, my concern was the vaccination. You know, yes, we had vaccinated up to that point, but we drew a hard line. We weren't going to do any of the COVID vaccines, and so I was like, well, if they're, if they're adding that to the rotation to the schedule, we're not doing that. So we might as well get out now. Um, but let me let me give you a benefit of homeschooling. If they work hard, they can get done in three hours a day. They don't have to be at Not school. Not to for mention, eight hours. his daughter is going to like graduate college like any minute now. She, I mean, she, I'm she exaggerating is, a bit. She but. has she has taken her first uh, college. She's 14 years old. She's taken her first college level CLEP test, basically. Yeah. And she got a B. So she got to be in the course. Whoa. So, yes, the goal is for her to do high school, college simultaneously through an online program. It will be about a 20th the cost of the average college. Uh, you know, tuition these days, and she'll be done four years earlier. So I don't know. I mean, who's she'll hacking the system? All of us. Yeah. <laughs> who's hacking the system here? So, so <laughs> I, I will say, you know, the the white pill angle on this one for me was pretty easy. Like, yeah. I see this yeah. as a win um, yeah. in and of itself. But if I dig a little bit deeper, you know, so a lot of the last year and a half for us has been like unlearning education philosophy that we had just absorbed by growing up hmm. and now being out of the system, we can kind of like rethink some things like mm-hmm. actually what is the purpose of education mm-hmm. and how do we best go about that and these sorts of things. So as someone who is a former public educator, as someone who has many dear friends that are in the public education world um, and committed to that world and, you know, trying to do good things in that world, my hope is that this, departure of all these students from Mm -hmm. the public school system and the departure of teachers. Uh, It wasn't an article I sent out, but I read another article this week about um, how I think there was, uh, maybe it was Galena Park, it was some Houston area school district, half of their incoming like new teacher hires are uncertified, which we can get into whether the government should be involved in certifying teachers or whatnot. But the point is the, the the districts are struggling to fill mm-hmm. classrooms. In fact, that was also a part of reason why we wound up homeschooling was because the school that we're zoned to is a dual language program. My son was going to be going into the fourth grade 
They asked if he reads, writes, and speaks Spanish at a fourth grade level. Do not let my last name fool you. Perez. He, he is Perez. Uh, he oh, does not. Lo siento. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so they were like, okay, you have to transfer. My wife spent so much time calling all these different schools, trying to get him into a school. The The comment that blew my mind was the, the ones that she got that were like, I'm sorry, ma'am. We don't have – not only do we not have room for your child – we do not have room for the children that are actually zoned to yep. our school. And I'm like, how is that even possible? So all that's to say, my hope is, not super confident, but my hope would be the pressure that this is putting, that we're seeing students being pulled out, we're seeing teachers leaving the profession, might get the system to start Recalibrate to reevaluate some things. Like maybe, maybe there's some things about the, the system that we've been trying to just keep running and running and running. Maybe we need to take a step back and do a more full-scale evaluation of what we're doing. Yeah, that would be but a Mace, large white pill. How yeah, are your kids right. ever going to learn about other worldviews? Because we teach them and because we <laughs> other are not views. recluses. What uh, worldviews might those be, Sarah? <laughs> um, blatant paganism? Yeah. Right. And okay. that that's something, you know, and that's, that's been one of those things like that we as we are, because I grew up with all the stereotypes of homeschooling. And even as a Christian, like most of my Christian life has. You were homeschooled? Uh, I was not. Oh, okay. I was. I was. What do you uh, mean? You grew up with? A, oh, you're saying you the stereotypes. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, homeschoolers, like the way and, I thought yeah. towards yeah. homeschoolers, yeah. right? And yeah. even most of my Christian life, I mean, I was the like missional person that like, no, we got to send our right. kids into the public school mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be missionary. I was that person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, what was the question? Oh, worldviews. Um, so I thought, you know, oh, well, we can't just protect our children from the world. You know, we we have to teach them how to engage with the world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I actually think that we can do that better Mm -hmm. by homeschooling them, that we can form their Christian worldview in the early years and then engage them. I mean, so it's not like we're recluses. So we are doing things out in the community, sports teams. We do a family movie night. Talk about like, you know, exposure to other worldviews, like every family movie night, we have to like, okay, pause the movie. Let's <laughs> talk about mean? this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, out there. what can we affirm? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the meat that we can chew and what are the bones that we have to split out, spit out? So we are doing that all the time. Awesome. Yeah. White pill angle. I'm just trying to say white pill as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> because I know y'all are paying us for that. Um, the, the larger maybe framework in which this is good. I don't know if I shared the white pill about the education system. I've just I left That's two years ago. Not a confidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it seems like it's going full speed uh, in the wrong way. But <laughs> but there is a lot of classical like I mean yeah. the classical education movement's a real thing, and there's government funding and all that. But the movement towards a more kind of like family oriented lifestyles that homeschooling promotes, mm-hmm. that also working virtually promotes, does seem like a sign that's encouraging like families yeah. are just gonna spend more time together mm-hmm. there's gonna Having be a stronger family bond nights, like said. Absolutely. which Love is it. glorious you know who has big families muslims that's my segue okay <laughs> well <laughs> we gotta, played i know yeah. he has nice. a heart out so here we go whiplash uh the article that i brought um i actually heard this on a podcast first that apparently there's a trend on tiktok right now well starting on tiktok and then moving out into you know the real world um, where the letter from Al Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden, you may remember him as the guy who, um, you know, bombed the twin towers in 2001. Well, he didn't personally do it, but he was in charge. It was published more than 20 years ago. I think it came out in 2002, the letter to America. Um, it was published 
Oh, it says, a year after the terrorist attacks and includes his grievances against Western involvement in Muslim countries, a mainstay of jihadist propaganda, and criticizes America's support of Israel and its policies in the Palestinian territories. So you can see why this is now making sort of a resurgence. It, meaning the letter, also criticizes Western, quote, lies, immorality, and debauchery, acts of fornication, homosexuality, intoxicants, et cetera, et cetera. And it argues that attacks against civilians in the United States are justified as a result. The letter has been posted in various places. Um, and then there's some question about should it be posted, should it not? But um, recently, The Guardian, actually a British newspaper, pulled it from its website um, because it was getting so much. It was just like wildfire on TikTok and then other social media platforms with a lot of especially younger millennials and Gen Z reading it and basically like siding with uh, Osama bin Laden being like, I, oh, this guy's misunderstood. Who knew? And I listened to a couple of the reactions and, you know, like, oh my gosh, like I was so wrecked when I heard this because I didn't realize that like all along, like I thought the, that America was in the right, but we were in the wrong. Somehow what seems to be happening, and this is my hot take on it, not the white pill part, um, is that there's this, there's a trend happening right now, especially since the attack on Israel on October 7th, where, it's almost like you remember when we were little and you'd go to a game and you'd root for the underdog. There's like an inclination to be like, well, this guy, oh, he's not doing so well. Let's root for him. It's like that on steroids mixed with a really unhealthy dose of like oppressor, oppressed, mm -hmm. intersectional matrix kind of thinking where the the people that have the most money or um, sort of like happiness and prosperity must be bad. And the people that are struggling must be the, the good guys. And in fact, Osama bin Laden was really onto something here when he was talking about Americans being like rich and wealthy and fat and whatever. Um, and Mace and I were joking when we were waiting to come in here tonight that like there's a lot of things in the letter we actually probably agree with. And I compared it to Timothy McVeigh's manifesto. Like you read the writings of a crazy person and you you're like, huh? yeah, the Unabomber. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, Ted great Kaczynski. point. Did I say what Tim I say? Timothy McVeigh. But yeah. I said, yes, it was Ted yeah. Kaczynski. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yes. I get yes. my mass yes. murderers no, mixed no, up. No, <laughs> no. I, but yeah. all of these people are, um, something is unhinged, something is evil. And, um, and Osama bin Laden's letter, while it may have had some true things in it about Americans, the ultimate point of it is that Americans and anyone that's not Muslim needs to be eradicated, including Jewish people. And, and would and if Osama bin Laden were still alive, he would be very much on Hamas's team that Israel needs to be eradicated from the river to the sea. He would be on that boat. Yeah. And so it's just another I know people are probably getting sick by now of me being so sort of burn it down when it comes to being pro-Israel in this whole situation that's happening. But when you see all these protests with people that are pro-Hamas, by the way, not just pro-Palestinian, there's definitely a case to be made to be pro-certain people that are in Palestine that are innocent and um, and and not the terrorists, but pro-Hamas protests and now people trending, loving Osama bin Laden. Listen, I say this is not the white pill part. <laughs> Move there. Go there. If you don't like America, you should go live somewhere else. And so pick a country. And now it's not going to go well for them, especially, you know, all these subgroups like queers for Hamas or um, different groups that if they were to move to a Sharia law country would be quickly beheaded. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I don't actually want people to be beheaded. I'm not that burn it down. But it's just so ridiculous. It is. It sort of boggles the mind. Yeah. Anyway, thoughts, guys? Bin Laden was the son of a 
multi multi millionaire yeah. uh, oh, construction, you know, yeah, <laughs> if not a billionaire, uh, you know, empire. Uh, in fact, like he has like a second or third cousin, Norbin Laden, who's kind of a conservative uh, commentary, an America loving conservative commentator. Oh, funny, uh, she's quite brilliant. Um, but um, actually, you know, funny about Ted Kaczynski and and, and uh, Bin Laden. You know, these are they're both uh, you know creations of our intelligence community. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Well, Ted Kaczynski was an early uh, MK Ultra uh, patient. Uh, look it up. That's no, true. no, no. That's actually in the like Netflix special or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, you know, our intelligence community was on the side of, of the of of the you know uh, of of the Afghans. You know, although he's I don't think he's Af- anyway. You know, um, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's like there are enemy, there are friend until there are enemy, and you know, I. But but let's get to the bigger issue, which is yes. What changed, you know, our, our, you know, 2001 was like a foreign country. Like America 2001 is like a totally different place. Something mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. And I think what changed is that you have now critical mass of this anti-colonialist, anti-American, anti-imperialist, anti-white, mm-hmm. anti-male, all these radical movements within the academic system that's been pumping out, you know, what we would consider to be, you know, crazy idea after crazy idea after crazy idea. And we were like, oh, those crazy universities, you know, did you hear what that professor said today? They are pumping out student after student by the thousands. And for the past 20 years, and we now have critical mass. They're in our government, they're in our institutions, they're in our media. They're definitely on TikTok, which by the way, if you listen to one after another, after another, I think those people were basically reading a script. Because they all said, oh, I can't just believe what I just heard, and I'm really rethinking everything. <laughs> Fill in the comments if you want to talk more about it. I, I don't know. I think there's some paid influence going on. Well, probably. But, but, um, Thanks, but yes, China. that is the change. So, you know, when, when people consider people like me some kind of a grumpy person who wants to go back to some, you know, idealized past, I'm like, well, yeah, I want to go back to a time when in my country, people didn't hate this country. Yeah. They didn't think it was the root of all evil. On the other hand, um, the, the there are criticisms of our country that are wholly justified. Yeah. And uh, that we have done terribly evil, our government, I, wouldn't, I don't necessarily say, our, you know, there is a difference between the country and, 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 and the government. But our government has essentially uh, acted, and we talked about this last month, you know, our government has essentially acted like this global, you know, chess master. And we have our hands in so many pies, mm-hmm. and we do betray our friends. Look at Vietnam. We just today get, like opened up those that money to Iran. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it. We 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 back. We we stab in the back. You know, people who are our friends in other parts of the world over and over and over again, and it does create resentment in that part of the world. I'm not going to say our chickens come home to roost because I don't think, unlike what Obama sa- or Osama says, Freudian slip, in that <laughs> in that letter, um, you know, no, I don't think terrorism is the, is an appropriate vehicle. Right. But I don't think that everything we do is appropriate either. Right. Why don't sure. we pull out of the world? Okay. Why don't we pull? Why don't we put America first? For that's a crazy political philosophy. Put America first. Put our people first. You know, we have crumbling infrastructure, but we're putting hundreds of billions of dollars all over the world. How how is this? This is not okay. You know, so I do think, um, you know, our government does deserve a fair amount of blame for some things that happened. But can I just share this about Osama bin Laden? Then I'll shut up. Um, when the CIA, now this is CIA information, so I, I'm assuming it's true, but I can't guarantee it. But they did find when they went into his compound, this is some of what he had. He had a lot of popular video games. For example, Half-Life, Super Mario Brothers, Yoshi's Island, Final Fantasy, Y'all aren't laughing. I thought y'all think this was funny. These are American. That's the point, right? Yeah. It's like well, he's, he also he's had a the massive collection of um, 
Shall we say inappropriate? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it it is a little bit rich that we're going back looking at this guy, and he had Disney movies and stuff for his kids. It's like, okay, dude, you're going to criticize the West. You're a son of a billionaire. Okay, you're not poor, and uh, and 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 you're imbibing all the Western things that you yeah. say that we right. do. Yeah. You know, so shut up. Same thing with the uh, the actual nine eleven attackers, right? Didn't they spend like they were just like binge at strip clubs in America, and well, played, they knew they were about to die. They played video games like yeah, the two like weeks non- leading up, yeah, nonstop. And like what? And How they, does that and, work? And they have admitted now a CIA connection. That finally they admitted uh, there are at least two of the guys that were met at the airport by somebody. And anyway, look it up. Yes, there's a CIA connection to those. Some of those but people. to I'm not saying it's an outside job. I'm just saying <laughs> there are questions we need to answer. Which is maybe for another episode. But if there's a white pill to this, and I, I always struggle because ever since October 7th, I have, as you said, been hot under the collar about this. Um, so I don't know if this is exactly white pill, but I think that. Maybe I've just been hanging out with Evan too much. I am becoming so cranky that I think we need to be saying on social media to our friends, um, as we discuss these kind of things, what is actually true, even though it's not the popular thing. And and I've done this. Like, I've had people that'll say, oh, I mean, I, I've gotten so many emails and texts. Well, you know, we've got to think about this and the, and the sort of moral equivocating that, you know, both sides have a point and all that kind of stuff. And I think I'm... I don't want to say I'm called by God or something, but I do think I have a responsibility to come back and say, you know, like someone just sent me a video the other day that was actually wrong about the Israel land and how everything, it was just actually wrong history. And I had to send something back and say, I I appreciate you sending this and I would love to get together for coffee and talk. This is actually, this just isn't true. Like this isn't historically true. It's not biblically true. And what's true matters, right? Is it Philippians that says whatever is true, what is noble, whatever is admirable, like think on these things. We need to be thinking about what's true, and we need to be calling this crazy. When people are saying that a terrorist who killed thousands of Americans and and lived among a people group where you get paid for like every Israeli head you'd take kind of thing, right? Um, when they're being celebrated, we have to call that evil. Let me ask you a question. I uh, 100% agree that terrorism is never, ever okay. Okay. It is not an appropriate vehicle by which a nation airs its grievances. Okay. And that's essentially what he was saying. And that's what people are saying about Hamas. It's the only, it's the only voice they have. That is false. But, um, but let me ask this. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian nation? How do we treat other nations? Um, let, let's say that I think that there is, let's just take this subject of say colonialism or colonization. Um, I think there have been some good things that came out of a lot of colonialism. Well, us sitting in this room is well, a result. yeah. And um, I think even when the West went to developing parts of the world, some good things came from that. You know, uh, but you I think said so- we had a hard out, and you just opened up colonialism. Well, I'm just saying. I, <laughs> I just want to make well, sure we, we're actually making good time. Okay, okay. okay. but um, <laughs> it's, it's like just the, a it's, huge. It's like the Yogi Berra quote. You know, it's like um, we're we, we're lost and on the way, but we're making good time. You know, um, <laughs> so um, but. Um, but there are some bad things about colonialism too, mm-hmm. you know, and what we've done in Africa and what we've done in other parts of the world are bad. And I would, I would say that a lot of the way that America has gone into other parts of the world since the end of World War II, since we became a superpower, since we became the world reserve currency, we have not acted like a Christian nation mm-hmm. at all. Even if the majority of our people would identify as Christian, I don't think the way that our government has interfaced with peoples around the world has been like Christian at all. In fact, I would say it's been decidedly non-Christian. Hmm. And I can understand if a lot of people are going, well, if you're a Christian nation and this is how you, sure. you know, treat people, you exploit our resources, you you, you know, mm-hmm. da-da-da-da-da. So I don't know. I do think that we have probably sacrificed a lot, if not most, of our 
um, moral standing in the world as a once great nation, as a once Christian nation in pursuit of becoming an empire, um, because that's what essentially what we become. We took over for the British Empire, and we were never meant to be that. The founders never intended us to be another version of the British Empire. We were to be a constitutional republic, essentially this little island you know, that kept to ourselves, and we valued freedom and liberty, and we valued trade, and where it was mutually beneficial, we could go. But we weren't to go look for foreign armies to go kill. That's the direct quote of the founders. Do not go look for foreign, you know, uh, monsters to slay. You know, sometimes we have to let other countries work out their problems. And sometimes maybe that means we're going to be a little bit poor. Maybe we don't have access to certain resources. But as Christians, like, we should be okay with that, right? Right. Like, Okay, so, but I don't think we, I don't think that's how our government thinks. I think our government thinks, how can we procure everything? Or how can we go spread democracy to other parts of the world that don't want it? Hundreds of thousands of people died, trillions of dollars are spent, doesn't do anything good for me. It's crazy. Is there so, a question in there for us to answer or just a Here's the white thoughts? pill. Make America Christian again. Be, be an unashamedly Christian country. And I mean from the bottom all the way to the top, where we ha- we sh- do have a president who says, I have Christian values, and, I, and, and, and hey, let's lay it all bare. Hey, mm. here, here, here's a starting place. Can we have all the records on the JFK assassination? Okay, so that's a great <laughs> no, segue. I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving an example, though, of where our government lies to us as a matter of habit, okay? Maybe they always have. But I'd like to think if there, maybe one day we could be told the truth. Maybe one day we could know how things, how the, how, how the sausage is really made. You know, and maybe then there could one be day everything will be made new. I know. So That's I don't know. That's all I got for you right now. We gotta let we gotta let James talk about his. I'll article. tell you but before I go the yeah. uh, the uh, just something for people to watch the Alexander Solzhenitsyn Harvard address from 1970. Uh, I know it. Yeah, it it's he's not a terrorist, and I really hesitate to say his name and Bin Laden's name in the same sense. But he comes in America's decadence in the same way that a Bin Laden does, except for he actually lived it out in his real life and mm. is, was mm-hmm. a great man. Say who he was. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he actually was a Soviet for a while. So he grew up in Russia. Soviet uh, revolution happened in 1919. Uh, actually fought in that. But then on the way back from World War II, he uh, like makes some comment about Stalin or somebody. Sure, if that's good, that gets reported. Spends the next what, like 15, 20 years in a mm-hmm. gulag, I think. Mm-hmm. And in has in the gulag has a conversion experience both to his the Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox faith. Um, but also just realizes like this whole thing's a sham. I'm not Soviet and I should start speaking out about it. And so he, he's actually a novelist. So he, he wrote because Russians love their literature, which <laughs> we'll get to in a sec. Um, the nice. Americans, Americans don't, go. uh, and ends up being like the figure for anti-Soviet resistance. Um, and some people say was one of the pivotal figures that actually broke the Soviet Union because mm. the way that he's broken, just, he was like a teacher and he would just speak out and the Soviets would come after him and like, you're yeah. not going to, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think he ended up migrating to America at some point because if they were going to kill him, obviously, but you know, that famous Paul Washer sermon, um, where he, he's talking about like decadence and, and like people, you know, being, I don't know, immoral or fornication or something like that. And he's at like a youth gathering. He's a well-known uh, pastor, yeah, no, missionary yeah. pastor, yeah. And so, um, oh yeah, used to be Presbyterian. I, you know, I watched Paul my Paul Washer videos gotcha, in middle gotcha. school. Anyway, so people are like, da-da-da-da, and he's like, I don't know why you're cheering. I'm talking about you. Ooh. And the people are like, 
you know, we thought you were talking about the other people out there. So that's what it kind of reminds me of when Solzhenitsyn. I need, it's actually, I've actually started to watch that on YouTube. I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I didn't finish it. Oh, it's hilarious because all the Harvard people are, keep on laughing and they're like, they're just taking their own cues because commencement speeches, they're just like, it's a laugh reel. They're like, ha 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 ha. And he's like, (laughs) y'all are terrible people and you're soft. He literally (laughs) says like, y'all are all soft. And And he's not joking at all. Yeah. He's got this big, long beard. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'll, let me. I had the nerdiest article of the night, and it's also pretty short. the uh, The reason I did this one was I think it just it's no like stylistically cool things that it says or no really hot takes. It just gives some hard data on where we are with what people are using their leisure time for, which I think is a lot more important than people give credit mm-hmm. for. Uh-huh. Right? People think their jobs that's what matters. Le- what you do with your free time is a lot about who you are and the mm-hmm. way you think and the formation of your mind. And it's how civic you know engagement takes place. It's how we win elections. It's how yeah. Yes, yeah. it's. Yeah, it's the formation of a, a citizenry. Yeah. Um, and we are officially below 50% of people reading a book for pleasure. Um, that's any books. This breaks down fiction's in the worst spot. Poetry is probably worse. <laughs> As the poet, I, I, I'm Aww. also asking for donations now after this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the one the one category that was on the rise was, I think, science, which is not surprising at all. Hmm. Um, religious texts are also, it says uh, 18.4% of adults Reported reading a book in the 2022 survey, down from 23% in 2017. Um, so I, it's more, I don't have a white pill angle just yet. My white pill angle is like, wow, I thought it was worse, basically. Um, <laughs> this is bad, but I thought it was way worse. Um, what are people doing instead, though? Does it say? It doesn't say, because this is just, it's a National Endowment for the Arts survey okay. um, that's just tracking, did you read a book for pleasure? The thing that was depressing, I think, like for the, like publishers, it was, especially during covid that they took the data and they thought, okay, it'll go up because book sales right. are up a ton. But I think they ended up seeing that it was people that were already reading were just getting more books. Yeah. And people that didn't read mm. didn't start reading. They and kept on watching. And is taking into consideration and, audiobooks? Uh, yes. The last question. Oh. Does that count as reading? I think so. Yeah. It, well, so that's, I, a, that's also another so. question because I think the – because what people are doing is watching stuff instead, right? Yeah. Right. Which you could say, well – I didn't read the book. I just watched the movie Anna Karina. And it's the same thing. <laughs> no, it's actually wild. Have you wi- read that book though? It's, it's very long. It's wildly different to watch something rather yes. than read something. Yes. Um, and wildly different for like what you, the way it feels when you do it, which is why people watch stuff because reading is sober and it's it's kind of hard. You got to go letter by letter mm-hmm. and, and construct things in your own mind. Um, so the, the majority of our population is not doing that. A majority of our population, instead of reading or th- – because reading requires thought and requires imagination – which f- fiction is the lowest percentage of all these. So the imagination is just kind of seen as this hunky-dory thing that we set aside and it's like, yeah, I mean, that was nice when I was in third grade. But right. As if imagination mm-hmm. – It's not going to be cultivated as an adult. Right. As if it just disappeared after you became 18 or something. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm a serious person so I don't have an imagination. Hmm. We're all, we always have imagination. We're always imagining things. It's just part of our the anatomy of our mind. Yeah. So, But that's not being cultivated. So what's the imagination instead being cultivated by? TikTok. Netflix, all these various things. And the the thinking that goes along with reading, which is tough because you have to, again, you have to go letter by letter. You have to, uh, you have to construct letter by letter, word by word, sentence by sentence. And there's this, um, kind of like the dialectical experience of a paragraph where you have to piece these things together. It requires stuff. You have to imagine it in your own mind. Mm -hmm. Watching, it's not inherently intrinsically evil. Someone's doing the work for you. Yeah, but right. it's imagined for passive. you. It's a lot. You're, you're yeah. passive. You're not as actively involved. That is where things are going. Very clearly, it's not gonna. 
you know, as, as much as I read poetry and I'm trying to save the world, I really am, but nobody's going to read my stuff and nobody's going to read fiction or poetry in the future. Um, unless some things change probably, um, with, with how it's delivered, I guess. Yeah. I don't have any good solutions. It's but. scary. So I have two teenagers, one's in college and one's junior in high school and they hate writing. It's the thing they're worst at. And I loved writing. And I realized part of when I'm helping my daughter, she's getting better at it. But when I'm helping her sort of like, you know, break down and make an outline and it's, I'm realizing, oh, it's because she hasn't read as much. And so then, you right. know, the natural sort of, well, when you read, it goes this way. So when you write, it right. might also go this way is also right. being lost. You are so then people eat. aren't able to communicate as well. And then everything's like, you know, GM for good morning and WYD. And anyway, what does that mean? What are you doing? Well, WYD it. is code for a booty call. Sorry, can I say yeah. that? <laughs> Anyways, mate. I have no idea. I, I have two attempts at a white pill Okay. On this one. Though I'm pretty black pill on this because I think this is terrible. <laughs> My white pill, two is one, homeschooling is the fastest growing. Hey. Bang. <laughs> Let me just reread the entire article. <laughs> I mean, even Osama bin Laden didn't read books. Hey. <laughs> well, they did read the Osama bin Laden letter. That was, that's an improvement, right? right, right, right. They did read it. Words. They Something. did read it. But, no, but notice what they say. If you look at that article that she sent out about the Osama bin Laden letter, like the whole point is that they're not reading the whole thing. Yeah, they're yeah, not right. reading it correctly. Yeah, they're watching they're, TikTok. They're picking and... up, you know, like little things here and there. So, but homeschooling is on the rise. And so we can do something about this. And this is something that's a regular part of our conversation in our family is learning how to communicate and mm -hmm. reading quality books. Second, at the risk of sounding like a shameless plug, there are people like those of us who are planting the journey that have seen this and are trying to push back on that. That's why one of our values is to be thoughtful in almost every one of our teachings as we're teaching our core group, we're, we're constantly pulling in quotes from other authors, not just commentaries, but even, you know, of course, you know, you have to get your obligatory Tolkien and C.S. Yeah. Lewis quotes in there. Nice. And Augustine. I would say almost every single lesson that we have been giving, there's almost always a book recommendation in there somewhere. So in this tiny little corner of Houston, Texas, Journey Church, Houston, we're, we're trying to push back on this and make reading cool again. I think the classical education world is definitely making reading cool yeah. again, mm -hmm. but it's it's just in small pockets. Pockets, like yep. Whereas, well, the, even even when I took preaching twenty years ago at seminary, there are like in in the Lutheran world, which is a pretty staid you know world, it was like, oh, you got to start using movie clips and you know mm -hmm. this. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about Dumb screens and churches and all that, I think, is is feeding into that. I mean, I think people listening to a fifteen or thirty minute sermon is going to be a lost art. If, yeah. you know, because that's an act, that's very active as well, yeah. because just words, you get to listen and, you know, there's nothing to watch. So I would say, I don't know if the journey has screens in their church or not, but I would say, <laughs> we do not. you know, oh, excellent. All right. Good deal. So I, th I think, I think it's a living room right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I yeah, it, it's an uphill battle. It's, it's my, my wife was telling me about a book she's reading and she said, I'm reading it slowly mm -hmm. because the prose is so good. Oh. It's actually oh, like a pleasure awesome. to read. You know, oh. whereas I often am like reading just to get the information as fast. I'm as like, can, does know. this have a two times speed yeah, on it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I read twice as fast? So I want to um, wipe angle also with. Uh, I'm just thinking in my own world of poetry. Um, poetry has become since the writing press very visual and very like silent. Whereas before that, it was auditory. Interesting. That, and, Spoken word. Yeah. The issue is poetry because of the fact that it takes account of 
the sounds that are mm-hmm. made, the alliteration, rhyme, all that, those are appealing to the ear. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be read aloud. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, with podcasts or w- now that mm-hmm. we have more technology, poetry will kind of go back to its roots more. And I think oh, that would purify so poetry in a real way mm-hmm. um, that the, the poetry nowadays is, is a product of our visual culture and yeah. is in a bad spot because of it. Here's a white pill. Um, <laughs> books form people, right? You read a book and you're a changed person. Yes. It's not true of an essay. It's not true, maybe an essay, but probably not. Not really true of a newspaper article at all. Yeah. Probably not true of a podcast. Although all those things kind of build you up a piece of it. But you read a book, you commit to a book, you're different at the other side of Definitely. that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, therefore, I think um, there will always be a kind of, you know, change happens with a minority of people. It's not a majority of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, that so, so, yeah. so be part of the minority of people who read books, who are changed on the outside. You know, create books, write books to our audience or... That is a lovely white pill. So, Look at so, you. Glorious. It was really lovely. I like that. <laughs> so. Practically poetic. We should have you come do like a poetry reading sometime. I'm not actually joking. That'd be really cool. I got the poems. Trust me. I'm, I've, I've got to turn one in book. next week. So we but can find a gem day somewhere and yeah. know, make yeah. it happen. Well, okay. I think we covered a lot of ground in less than an hour, I think. Anyway, so uh, let's go around the horn. Where can people find you all one more time? We'll go backwards this time. Uh, Houston's2.org. My Twitter, so I'll put it out there. I, I said to that because uh, I think I deleted all my high school tweets now, so it's it's fair game. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Tupelo <laughs> underscore OG. Is Tupelo? My, yeah. yeah. There's like a story. Tupelo it's honey. the off-air story, but yeah, uh, gotcha. that's my Twitter. Awesome. Um, the journeyhouston.org, and I am on Facebook because I'm lame, and Twitter, <laughs> um, mostly for the sports. I do not know my handles, but there's not a lot of Mace Perez's in the world. So look me up and I'm sure you can find me. Uh, Sarah Stone, I'm on all the things. And um, you can find out everything you need to know about this organization at theologybythepint.org. And you should come or to or or all net. the things. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want. Um, or you can actually still net. go to HoustonTOT.com. But uh, <laughs> December 12th, you should come to our next event. We're going to be talking about women in ministry. What do you guys think? Yes, no, don't actually answer. That's rhetorical. Come and find out what some other people think and weigh in. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm Evan. I'm the pastor here at First Lutheran FL, Houston.org. Um, thanks for watching. And until next time, question freely, think deeply, and disagree is needed. <laughs>